So here's the deal, guys. I am super excited. I have a uh, guest speaker I brought today, and I'm so excited to share him with you. Uh, Dr. Jeff Orge is the president of Gateway Seminary, in which I am an alumni of. I, uh, I got my doctorate there. Pastor Steve Davidson got his doctorate there. Marlena is, uh, our, our, is going there right now. Heather Hublein, our junior high director here at North, she is also a student there. We have several students in our church that are going to Gateway Seminary. It is a fabulous seminary. Sometimes people will say like, oh, you went to cemetery. That's where your faith goes to die. Not Gateway, I'm telling you. Um, it is an amazing place because it's led by an amazing person. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Uh, both Pastor Steve and I, we both have a bit of a man crush on this guy. We've read all his books. He is a beast, and I am super excited to share with you today Dr. Jeff Orr. So give it up for Dr. Jeff. Thank you, brother. Okay. It's very seldom that I'm introduced with the words man crush and beast in the same sentence. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling really good about myself right now. All right. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark in the New Testament. That's the second book in the New Testament, Matthew, then Mark. And we're looking at chapter one in just a moment where I'll be reading a passage of scripture That'll be the foundation for today's message. Now, while you're turning to Mark 1, let me just briefly echo uh, what Pastor said about our school and say thank you for your longtime support of Gateway Seminary. You have sent us students, you have employed our graduates, you have contributed to us financially, you have prayed for us. Thank you. And this morning, I didn't come to do a seminary commercial, so if you have further interest in our school, being as a student or in any other capacity, just come up afterwards and I'll be glad to talk with you for a few minutes. This morning, though, we come to a passage of Scripture which tells the story of Jesus intersecting with and meeting the needs of a hurting person. I want to introduce you to that story just now, starting in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. The Bible says Jesus went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then Jesus sternly warned him and sent him away at once telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places and they came to him from everywhere." This passage of scripture begins by introducing us to a man who's in significant pain and teaches us that Jesus' power can touch anyone. This man doesn't have a name. He's only described to us by his disease. He was a leper. And in that word, there is a lot of information about the kind of pain he was experiencing. First of all, he was obviously hurting physically. He had leprosy. 
Now, modern medical diagnoses of leprosy is called Hansen's disease. But in the Bible, the word leprosy meant more than this narrow medical de- uh, definition that we use today. It really was a catch-all word. Leprosy meant any kind of skin ailment. It could have been a bleeding ulcer, a skin cancer, a, pl- a pus-filled abscess. It, it could have been something even like a skin breakout like shingles or a pox or something like that. And of course, it was leprosy, meaning it could have been the disease we now call that as well. No matter what this man had wrong with him physically, would you agree with me that he was in pain? Have you ever had a skin ailment? Have you ever had one of these things afflict, afflict you? You didn't even want to put on a shirt or get dressed. You, you used medicines and ointments, and even then you couldn't find any relief. Listen, skin ailments are painful, and they can be nasty and smelly and ugly. This man was hurting physically because he was a leper. But beyond that, he was also hurting socially or relationally. He was in deep pain socially, relationally. Why? Because the Bible had a prescription for people who had leprosy and how they were to be treated. Let me read it to you from, Luke, or from Leviticus chapter 13. The Bible says the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. A leper had to live in social isolation as far away from people as the sound of his voice would carry. So a leper walked around and if he saw you coming over the horizon, he would shout out, unclean, unclean. And if you could hear the leper's voice, you were supposed to back away. And he was not allowed to live in a community. He had to live outside the camp like a homeless person, so to speak, living far at a distance in some kind of tent or shelter, but never in contact with any other people. The leper invented social distancing. I'll just say it. Now, you know how hard it was a few years ago to live, in a, live for a season apart from human contact. We weren't supposed to get close to each other or to be in groups like this. And many of us know how hard that was even for a season. I want you to imagine for the rest of your life never being able to be in the presence of another person, never being able to sit by anyone like you're doing right now. Never sitting across the table and sharing a meal with another person ever again for the rest of your life you eat alone. Never getting a hug. Never getting a pat on the back. Or if you're in my stage of life, (laughs) never having a grandchild crawl up in your lap and say, Granddaddy, read me a book. Can you imagine living the rest of your life and never being in the physical presence of another human being? This man was hurting socially or relationally. He's in deep pain. But not only is he hurting physically and socially, he's also hurting spiritually. He's what I'll call a religious reject because he couldn't be around people. He he couldn't come to church. 
Now, church like this didn't exist in his time, but synagogue did and temple did. The people gathered to worship God. They gathered to read psalms together and sing songs together and hear scripture read and have someone explain it to them. While they were worshiping in a different context than we're doing today, in many ways it looked a lot like what we're experiencing right now. And this man was prohibited from being a part of any of this. He couldn't gather for any kind of religious services. Now you think about it. Physical pain, social separation, religious isolation. Some of you are feeling some of this today. Are you here today in physical pain? You were born with a disability. You've had it all your life. You wake up with it and it hurts every day. Some of you developed some kind of disease. You have diabetes or cancer or maybe lupus. And because you have this disease or you have had it, you have persistent chronic pain. You wake up with it in the morning. You go to bed with it at night. It never abates. You hurt all the time. Some of you did it to yourselves. Drug abuse, alcohol abuse, overeating, overworking. You did it to yourself. And because of the damage you did to your own body, you're in physical pain today. Listen, you might be here today and you might be like this leper. You're in physical pain. What about social pain or relational pain do you feel isolated and separated? Do you feel like a person who doesn't fit in? Is life for you a perpetual middle school lunchroom and you don't know where to sit? You just don't feel connected. How about spiritually? You're here today and you're thinking, what am I even doing in church? I don't belong here. They won't like me here. They won't accept me here. If they knew who I was and what I've done, they'd put me outside the doors. I don't belong. Listen, I have good news for you today. If you're in this kind of pain, physically, socially, or spiritually, if you're hurting in these kinds of ways I'm describing, I have good news for you today. You have come to hear about hope, and there is hope for you in Jesus Christ. There is hope for you in Jesus Christ. Look at what happened in this passage. This man came to Jesus, knelt down before him, and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was willing and touched him and healed him in that moment and gave him the hope he was looking for in his life. If you're here this morning and you're hurting, I'm telling you, Jesus offers you hope. He wants to touch you, change your life forever, and give you hope today. But I know what you're thinking. Well, that can't happen to me. I'm just too bad. <laughs> I'm too evil. I'm too broken. I'm too far gone. I've done things that if you knew about them, preacher, you wouldn't be saying there's hope for me. Well, let's hear what the Bible says about that. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and the Bible says this, do not be deceived, no sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And you say, well, that's right. That's who I am. That proves it. I don't belong. No, you need to keep reading. What does the next verse say? And some of you used to be like this. But 
You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You know who makes up this church? Swindlers, liars, cheats, immoral people, greedy people. That's who we used to be. That's who we used to be. And we were hurting and broken and in pain because of it, but we came to Jesus and he changed everything. Man. So if you're here this morning, I want to tell you, you've come to the right place because if you're broken like this that I'm describing, Jesus Christ wants to do something for you today that he did for this leper, and that is he wants to touch you. Can you imagine that? Jesus does the unthinkable. He touched a leper. You say, well, of course he did, he's Jesus. No, because he's Jesus, he did not have to touch this leper to heal him. Jesus could have head bobbed him. I mean, Jesus could have taken a look at this smelly, nasty, broken, pitiful man and said, I'm not touching that. I'll head bob this one. Jesus could have winked him, ear wiggled him, magic fingers. Jesus could have done anything to change this man's life, but what did he do? He touched him. This is unthinkable. If you're here today and you're broken, you're dirty, you feel like you're a pitiful mess, You think Jesus wouldn't touch you? I'm telling you, he will touch you. Touch you. He's not trying to keep his distance from you. He's trying to get close enough to you to touch you. This got me thinking. Did Jesus ever touch anybody else in the Bible? So I made a study of it. I found out Jesus went around touching people all the time. Let me give you some examples. One time, Jesus put his fingers in a guy's ears to restore his hearing. Another, guy, another time, the Bible says Jesus put his fingers on a guy's eyes to restore his sight. Another time, Jesus touched a guy's lip to give him back his speech. And another time, uh, Jesus went right for the tongue. Jesus went right for the tongue, touched him on his tongue to restore his speaking. Jesus, my favorite one though, is at the end of his life, Jesus' followers got into a little tussle with some other guys and they pulled out a sword and cut a guy's ear off. Jesus picked up the bloody stump and stuck it back on his head. Jesus walked around with earwax, eye gunk, snot, spit, and blood on his hands. He is not the sanctified, uh, excuse me, he's not the sanitized savior He is a man who likes to get his hands dirty touching people like us. And my friends, that is good news this morning. So the first part of this message is for those of you who come to church today broken and hurting and in deep pain. Jesus wants to offer you hope. He wants to touch your life today. He wants to meet you at your point of need. He wants you to know no matter what you've done, who you are, where you've been, how broken you've become, what a mess your life is, he wants to touch you, get his hands on you, remake you, and change you today. He wants to do it this morning. 
Now you say, how do I access that? How do I make that happen? Well, by an act of quiet desperation where you simply ask Jesus to do something for you. That's what this man did. He pushed his way through a crowd, breaking all the rules and no doubt being shouted at, pushed on, pressed away, but he got to Jesus. And he just said a simple thing. What did he say? Lord, if you're willing, you could make me clean. Just a simple statement, a simple act of quiet desperation coming to Jesus. Now you're thinking, well, what do you want me to do today? Do you want me to run down to the front and make a scene of myself? Do, 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 do you want me to, to, uh, to, to, to repent in some way that's dramatic and revolutionary? Do, do I have to stand up in front of everybody and say something or do something? No, 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 no. I want you just very quietly to push your way to Jesus and ask him to change your life. You know, I've seen this happen dozens, if not hundreds of times over a lifetime of ministry, but one of my favorite stories about this happened early on when I was a young pastor. There was a man who was a part of our church, but sort of on the periphery. He, he really wasn't fully committed or really fully involved, but came from time to time. There was always seemingly something that held him back from a full commitment of his life to Jesus. One Friday afternoon, I, I had a light day. I left a, a little early for lunch, maybe a quarter to 12. I I came back a little late, about 1.30. When I came into my office and walked around the corner, sitting outside my office is this man. Now, it was a remarkable sight. He's sitting on a little bench. Now, this wasn't a sitting bench. Ladies, you know what I mean. This was a, de a decorative bench, de decorative bench. The women of my church had put this little display out there in front of my office to make it look a little nicer, and he's sitting on my little bench. And he's sitting there with his hands in his lap just waiting, and it was so unusual because this is a very successful man. He owned a large business. He, he lived in a beautiful home. He, he took the nice trips. He's 25 years my senior. He's sitting outside my office on a little bench waiting for me. I came around the corner and said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were coming. He said, well, I, I didn't call ahead. I, I just wanted to see you today. And I guess I missed you. I've been waiting for about an hour and a half. And then he said, because this is my day, and if it doesn't happen today, I'm afraid it won't ever happen. I need to talk to you. We went into my office, and he unburdened something. You'll never guess what it was. Don't even try. I had no idea what it was, and it shocked me when he said it. He said, here's what's holding me back. Here's what's broken in my life. Here's what I've done that's so awful. And then he said, is there any hope for me? <laughs> I think there is, he said, because I, 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 I want to talk to you today about giving my life to Jesus. And in my office that day, in a very quiet way, he prayed, confessed his sin, invited Jesus to be his Lord and Savior, and started a new life. And that new life was remarkable. Ten years later, he was the chairman of the facilities task force that built a new campus for our church. God changed his life. But it all happened, excuse me, it all started with an act of quiet desperation. No big show, just coming to my office, sitting on a little bench and saying, today's my day. If it doesn't happen today, it may never happen. I need to talk to you. And he prayed a simple prayer of asking Jesus Christ to come into his life. Now, in just a few minutes, Pastor Sean's going to come up on this stage and he's going to invite you to do the same thing. 
to publicly commit your life to Jesus, to say to this church, I want to follow Jesus, and to let this church help you to learn what that means. We're not going to ask you to do anything outrageous or outlandish. We're just going to ask you to make a simple faith commitment today to let Jesus Christ touch your life, come into your life, change your life. Today, it can happen. You can have that hope today. But now, most of you who've come to church today have already had this experience. You've already had this experience. So the rest of this message is for the rest of us. Because now I want to look at this story from a slightly different perspective. And that's the perspective of Jesus and how he gets involved with this man. Notice what it says in beginning in verse 41. The Bible says, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. Moved with compassion. The second part of this message is for those of you who are involved in trying to reach out to hurting people. You know, our world says, that, or excuse me, the Bible says that we are the hands and feet of Jesus in our world. We're, we're out there trying to touch people in Jesus' name. We're trying to do ministry that meets the needs of people and show the love of Jesus to people. That's why your church has all these ministries going on. Outreach programs, projects in the community, different sites, different venues, different ways of communicating the gospel through electronic means and live means and through other kinds of, uh, uh, of media. Your church is doing all these things and you are involved in doing them because you realize you have a responsibility to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be going places with the gospel and touching hurting people in Jesus' name. So here's my question for all of you who are trying to do this as a part of your church. What is it that keeps you going? What is it that keeps you motivated? What is it that keeps you in the work of the ministry of reaching out to hurting people. And I, I ask you that question because, quite frankly, it's hard work, isn't it? And it wears you down. So what keeps you going? Well, is it, is it duty? Is it guilt? Is it shame? Is it money? What is it that keeps you going? Look at the story again. What was it that moved Jesus? Moved with what? Compassion. It's the compassion of Jesus that keeps us moving in ministry. Jesus' ministry is motivated by his compassion. It's his compassion that moved him to reach out and touch this broken man. What is compassion? Well, I need to talk about this for a moment because the word compassion in the Bible is different than the way we use the word today. Today, compassion is kind of a touchy-feely word. It, it sort of connects to a Hallmark movie type understanding of sentimentality. Now, I've been married for 42 years. You know I've seen some Hallmark movies. I'm just saying. Okay? You, you can't be married this long and not see a few Hallmark movies along the way with your wife who happens to enjoy them. And I don't mind them. The, I, the sentimentality, the sweetness of it, that's fine. But that's not compassion in the biblical sense. The word compassion in the Bible, now get this, the word compassion in the Bible is really connected to our understanding of the word anger. Now don't misunderstand me, anger and compassion are not the same thing, they're not the same thing. But here's the way they are connected. We use the word anger this way, we say a person is boiling with anger. We say a person is motivated or, out, or, 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 or out, lashes out in anger. We say a, the anger motivates or pushes a person to do things. 
That's what I mean when I say anger and compassion are similar. Because in the Bible, the word compassion literally means a stirring in the bowels. It means a rumbling in your gut. It means something cooking, something simmering, something percolating deep down inside of you. That's what compassion means. And so when it says that Jesus is motivated by compassion, it said there's something cooking, something bubbling, something percolating, something rumbling and grumbling down within him that just pours up and erupts out of him and causes him to reach out and touch this leper. That's what compassion is in the Bible. It's a deep moving that happens down inside of you that compels you to stay in this task of ministering to hurting people. The only way you can get that is ask God for it. Get down on your knees and say, Jesus, I need you to come into my life and give me this kind of compassion for hurting people. I wanna be your hands and feet to my neighbors, to my work associates, to the people in my school. I wanna be your hands and feet to the people that I'm trying to reach through the ministry I work in here at church, through the projects we're involved in. I wanna be your hands and your feet. Lord, I wanna go after hurting people, but when you start doing that, let me tell you something, compassion fatigue is a real thing. You will wear out quickly if you're depending on duty or guilt or shame or money to keep you going. You will wear out quickly, so you have to get down on your knees on a regular basis and say, Jesus, Put your compassion in me. Give me compassion for hurting people. Put resources deep within me that I don't even understand and cause them to simmer and boil and cook and come out of me and motivate me to stay in this task of reaching people for you and meeting their needs when they're hurting. The compassion of Jesus is what keeps us going in ministry. So we've looked at this story from two perspectives today. First, Those of you who are hurting, Jesus wants to touch you. Second, all of you who are trying to reach out to hurting people, Jesus wants to give you compassion. And now we come to the end of this message and the end of this story, and it ends in a very unusual way. What happens at the end? Verse 44. Jesus told him, the healed leper, see that you say nothing to anyone But go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, this is puzzling in two different ways. First of all, Jesus says, you're healed. Don't tell anybody. This is the same Jesus who at the end of his ministry is going to tell all of us to go tell everyone about him. But he's at the beginning of his ministry. We're after all in Mark chapter one. See, that's real technical biblical study right there. One is at the beginning. Okay, that's supposed to be funny. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus says, Don't tell anybody. And then he says something else puzzling. He says, we've just broken all the rules. The law says you can't be here and I can't touch you. You're here and I'm touching you. We're breaking all the rules. However, I want you to keep the rules. I want you to go find a priest 
and do what Moses in the law said you're to do when you get healed, and that is make an offering in the temple of appreciation to God. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, don't tell anybody, and fulfill the law. Now, I have heard a lot of creative explanations of this, but here's my favorite. One person told me, well, I think Jesus was using reverse psychology. (laughs) He was trying to fake this guy out because he knew if he told him not to tell anyone, he'd go tell everyone. Well, seriously, Jesus is not some kind of trickster. That is not what's happening here. Jesus is telling him some specific instructions. Don't tell anybody, go make an offering. What does the man do? The exact opposite. And what happens? A mob forms such that Jesus is so, uh, the, the crowd is so great, Jesus is forced into what the Bible calls the deserted places. Now you say, but wasn't that a good thing that Jesus drew a crowd? Listen to me, Jesus does not need your help to draw a crowd. This crowd was not gathering because of what they wanted Jesus to do. They were gathering to get the loaves and fishes. They were gathering to watch the sideshow. They were gathering because the circus is in town. Let's see what's going to happen next. And Jesus knew that early in his ministry, the crowds were coming for all the wrong reasons, and he did not need any help gathering that. This story's ending has this important lesson. Listen carefully to all of, to, for all of us. Jesus wants you to obey him, not help him out. He doesn't need your creative solutions, your creative interpretations. He doesn't need you to come up with some new way of looking at his word or his methods or his life. He needs you to obey him. It's interesting to me that right now in American Christianity, we are spending a significant amount of time trying to help God out. You know, God, you didn't quite get it right on gender. You didn't quite get it right on marriage. God, this living together before marriage, you didn't get that right in the Bible. That, that, that fornication word, you shouldn't have put that in there. Adultery, it's really not that bad. God, greed, oh, greed. God, you shouldn't have put that in the Bible. Now, we all need to be just as greedy as we can be and get as much as we can and save it up for as long as we can and enjoy it all we can. Now, that's really what we ought to be doing. You see, we're specialists at helping God out. We know what God says about important issues, but we're busy helping God out. Well, here's what I think you meant, God. Here's what I think you really want me to do. Here's what I think will really be better for you. When what Jesus is saying and illustrating by this story is very simple, just do what I say. Just do what I say. Whether you like it, whether it makes sense, whether you think it's the right thing, whether you think it'll help me out or not, Just do the right thing that I'm telling you to do. So this story of this leper, it starts by offering hope to hurting people. And again, I say today, if you've come and you're in pain, 
physically, socially, spiritually. There's hope for you today. doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Jesus will touch you, change your life, hope today. For those of us who are busy trying to do ministry and reach out to hurting people in the name of Jesus, be his hands, his feet, this story teaches us that what will keep us going and doing that important work is praying for and working out of the motivation of the compassion of Jesus. And then finally, for all of us, this story illustrates that once we find hope in Jesus and start getting involved in ministry in his name, the ultimate thing he wants from all of us is our obedience. Just do what he says. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the privilege of preaching today. And I pray for hurting people who are in this room right now that you will give them a sense of your presence and you will touch them and change their lives today. And for the most of us who are here who've already experienced the hope that we found in Jesus, give us a commitment to seek your compassion and to stay involved in ministering to hurting people. Overcome our compassion fatigue and motivate us to do your work. And then, Father, for all of us, call us to obedience. Deliver us from creative ways of trying to help you out. And instead, give us simple obedience to your word and your ways to do what you say is right and to follow in obedience your commands. Thank you for hearing my prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen.